Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Fred Barnes is coming by to tell us about the rules Donald Trump lives by. And then we're going to talk with Michael Warren about how those rules got the president deep into his Comey mess. All that coming up on the Confab. We get the confab rolling in earnest with Mr. Fred Barnes, executive editor of the Weekly Standard. Welcome, Fred. Always glad to be here. Always a pleasure to have you. You've got an article in the Weekly Standard this week in which you are talking about the three rules that Donald Trump lives by and that they can work for him but they can work against him as well. What, what are these three rules? Well, first, let me say I learned them from Time magazine, uh, which had them in their piece. Remember when Time did a piece several weeks ago about Trump after dark, <laughs> where they went to the White House and spent time wandering around the White House? He was all alone, basically, uh, and, and wrote a, an extra long piece about, about what, uh, what he was doing. It wasn't a very interesting piece except for these three Trump rules. And the first one is if you write, you fight. Secondly, uh, controversy elevates message. And last, never apologize. So uh, those are three rules that you could defend on one basis or another. Uh, But I would say, looking at them, Trump gets in more trouble from them than uh, success. Well, let's let's start with the, the first one: mm-hmm. fighting when you're right. I mean, why why not? Why ever would you not fight when you're right? Well, it's one thing to fight some major opponent who can do harm to you politically or otherwise, or hurt the country if it's a foreign country. But Trump tends to pick on anybody, uh, to pick a fight with anybody who says something unkind about him. Especially if their last name is Khan. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that does seem to be a, a repeating factor. Uh, remember the guy who that uh, whose son, uh, in, in Mr. Khan, uh, at, who spoke at the Democratic Convention, his son had been an army captain killed in Iraq. But he was very critical and probably unfairly critical of Trump. But it doesn't make any difference whether the criticism is unfair or not. Trump spent a week after that attacking him, responding to him. Uh, I mean, it was a complete waste of time for somebody who was a presidential candidate, uh, already nominated. Uh, now, you can say, well, he hasn't done anything uh, quite like that uh, since he's become president. But that was a, fr- a preview. He's done things uh, pretty quick- along, with the, along that line, though. Right, like with the mayor of London. You know, the mayor of London is not somebody who appeals to me, but— you know why would Trump want to pick a fight with him? Here you'd had this horrible terrorist attack on London Bridge, the second one on London Bridge, uh, an event that really buttressed uh, Trump's case for uh, taking Islamic terrorists seriously. So what does he do? He picks a fight with the mayor of London and some some uh, tweet or something that the uh, the, uh, the mayor had done and quotes him out of context and and spends several days doing that. Right, and can't can't acknowledge that he got the 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 information wrong about the London mayor. The London yeah. mayor had been saying to people, don't be alarmed when you see more policemen and yeah. troops on the street. Yeah. And Trump took that and said, the stupid mayor of London, he's telling people not to mm-hmm. be alarmed at, yeah. at terrorism. He wasn't mm-hmm. saying anything of the sort. Right. 
Now, the actually, the mayor had sort of uh, downgraded the, the the terrorism threat uh, before, but not this time. <laughs> when Trump dumped on him, and it, it was, you know, this is what Trump does. He picks fights uh, with people who aren't as big as he is, uh, and and fights that even if he wins, get him nowhere. Uh, but they are distractions that keep him from pushing uh, an agenda that he has. <laughs> In the White House, he seems to forget about it uh, frequently. Well, this is where rule number two comes mm-hmm. in when he's having these fights left and right because he thinks that controversy elevates his message. Mm-hmm. But you make a compelling case that controversy maybe muddies one's message <laughs> and distracts one from the message. Well, it does. But, I mean, clearly Trump loves controversy. And 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 he truly believes that controversy, this is the way uh, that I really – move my message everybody everybody reads it they see my tweets on these things and i think it's worked a little bit on immigration it didn't the campaign people who uh, uh, uh agree that we really need to uh have a border wall and so on and a very anti-immigrant or at least anti-illegal immigrant uh, rallied to him and he's really shaped the republican uh, position on this and but uh uh, but that's – I'm running out of things where I think controversy actually did elevate a message. F- firing James Comey. Now, what did that do? I mean, I think Trump thought that was going to be cheered by people as a bold act that, that Democrats and Republicans would agree on. All it is, people looked at it and thought, that guy's rash and impulsive. Uh, and uh, it, it, it sent it, – it was a controversy that sent the wrong message, the, the one Trump didn't want. And that always that, that happens quite frequently. And the only thing that got elevated out of that controversy was Comey. Indeed, and he's uh, he's making the most of it. <laughs> he has, and you know Trump. And, and I think if Trump uh, is a great uh, uh, cable TV viewer, I think he's going to see a lot of Comey on there over oh. the next year. If you're fighting all the time and you think controversy elevates message, you wouldn't want to resolve anything by doing anything as mundane as apologize perish the thought the uh you know trump uh, going back to the first one if you're right you fight well of course he always thinks he's right so why would he have to apologize for anything you know i uh, there's a saying that i have heard from a friend of mine uh all the time and that is leaders take responsibility losers blame others well I'll give you one guess which one of those <laughs> Trump does. You know, here he here he completely screws up the explanation of why he fired Comey. You know, he has uh, the Justice Department puts out a, a very compelling memo, and it was all because he handled the Hillary Clinton email scandal uh, improperly and so on. And, and Trump saw that and agreed with it. Then. And then a couple of days later, he said, oh, no, that wasn't it. It was the Russian thing. I was going to I was going to fire him anyway. He does seem to have a habit, and this was including with uh, Jeff Sessions over mm-hmm. the um, the travel ban mm-hmm. uh, arguments, where he is in the habit of hanging his subordinates out to dry. I call it a public shaming in the case of Jeff Sessions, who actually I know pretty well, and he's a lovely man. You'd never know it from the things that were said about him in his confirmation hearing, but he is. And, and here the poor guy, uh, there were two of these uh, immigration cases, and, one, and he sent one to the Supreme Court, the one that I think probably has a better chance of being upheld by the court. Uh, we won't know for months. Uh, but Trump, Trump wanted the other one. And so he vents on it in public. Uh, then he lets it be known that 
you know, when he tells reporters or somehow it gets to them, and uh, and it started with him that uh, that he thinks uh, Jeff Sessions should not have recused himself uh, from uh, uh, the Russian investigation. You know, the, if there's any collusion between the last year between the Trump team and uh, and the Russians, uh, he said. When when uh, uh, Sessions r- recused himself, guess what, Eric? Showed weakness. No, weakness. 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 You know, the, the, the biggest source of weakness at this point, though, is the fact that Trump does not have a complete team either in the White House or mm-hmm. in the administration more broadly. And given the multiple things, which is him hanging his own people out to dry, embarrassing mm-hmm. them, and having brought upon himself a special counsel to roam mm-hmm. the halls and interviewing mm-hmm. people and putting people in jeopardy because yeah. anytime you have to answer questions of an FBI agent, you're you're in some jeopardy, mm-hmm. even if you have nothing to do with the, the case whatsoever. Um, and special you, counsels, of course, they frisk the uh, the people uh, who they're investigating. They have a complete frisk. That means everything. It doesn't mean what's just the subject of this investigation. It's whatever they find. Yeah. And so how is Trump going to get good people to walk into that situation? And if he's not going to get good people, he's either going to get um, sad people or he's going to be shorthanded, going to mm-hmm. be playing shorthanded all the time. Well, he's going to be playing shorthanded for a while, that's for sure. Now, why would anybody – you can see why somebody might take a cabinet post, uh, uh, particularly if it's uh, – that department is a good ways away from the White House. Treasury, ah, that's right next door. Uh, the uh, – uh, but other than that, you know, take a job actually working directly under the president. Uh, you know, this idea of never apologizing when you're wrong and blaming others for something he's responsible for is very poor and I think unethical uh, management practice. Uh, you know, these poor people working for me, what, it wasn't their fault that, uh, that Trump uh, changed his mind at the last minute and said, and said, oh, you know, it was really the Russian thing that had me fire uh, uh, Comey. They didn't do that. He did. And he blamed them. Oh, they just can't keep up with me. I'm, I'm operating at a high speed. Well, but just general management principles. Mm-hmm. Is if you mistreat your workforce, who do you lose first? the most capable people who Mm -hmm. are most Mm -hmm. easily hired to something else? Mm -hmm. And who are you left with Mm -hmm. to do the job? You know, uh, that's a good question. You know, apologizing when you actually are sincere about it it, it is a great practice. Uh, And and what it shows people is that you're you're willing to take the blame. You're not going to pass it on to other people. It stirs loyalty and respect. Uh, and it tells uh, the people who work for you that, you know, you're not somebody who's going to pick on them and blame them, that they're basically safe working for you. I don't think people feel that about Trump. I mean, Trump has, uh, I like Trump's agenda, uh, but the way he runs his White House is, uh, boy, it's a horror to behold. Well, then I, I have to apologize. I have to apologize. <laughs> That's all the time we have to discuss Trump's three rules. Fred Barnes, executive editor of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on the Confab. Uh, I enjoyed it. The Confab welcomes Michael Warren, White House correspondent of the Weekly Standard. Michael, how you doing? I'm hanging in there, Eric. It's, it's been a long week. 
What do you mean? Another one of these weeks where very little happens. Just you know, you you go over to the White House every day. Exactly, it's they quiet. Yeah, they, you can hear the crickets chirping. They pass out water bottles. You know, we just sit there, relax, and just kind of wait for news to happen, and it never does. Yeah, uh, it's like actually the exact opposite of that. <laughs> this week, the big Comey testimony. Right. The 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 testimony that was meant to rock the world. Did it rock the world? Well, it depends on your perspective. Um, like it seems like everything in the Trump era, uh, whatever happens, uh, people who uh, uh, people who support Trump see it in in ways that uh, confirms their view. People who oppose Trump see it in ways that confirm their view, uh, and nothing ever seems to get resolved. We are just, living in the age of confirmation bias, confirmation bias, and constant conflict. So, I mean, this ensures that the conflict never goes away because nobody ends up with an answer that satisfies them that, oh, well, this really put to put to bed, put to rest all of those concerns. Uh, well, it, it, it didn't. Uh, oh, well, this really sort of uh, verify that Trump needs to be impeached immediately. Well, no, it didn't do that either. So, uh, you know, we keep going. We do learn more things from Comey than we did before Comey testified. But uh, the, the resolution doesn't seem to be anywhere in sight. All right. Well, you've you've teased us. What did we learn? <laughs> uh, well, we learned a few things. Um, and this was uh, actually we, we learned a lot of, of what we learned actually before Comey got to the Senate. He re- they released the Senate Select Senate Select Intelligence Committee released his opening statement, which he actually didn't end up delivering because it had been widely disseminated. Because everybody had read it and poured over it by then anyway. So exactly. why bother? Tomorrow's was, news today. There was this weird sort of postmodern moment where before the time that Comey was supposed to deliver his opening statement in the hearing, the two co-chairs, uh, Richard Burr and Mark Warner, uh, both referenced the opening statement that had technically not happened yet. So it was this weird moment, <laughs> but uh, not the weirdest moment uh, in Washington. Um, uh, so so what did we learn? We learned that, uh, indeed, uh, James Comey told Donald Trump three times, uh, at least, that he was not personally under investigation. This this has almost like a, a fairy tale quality to it. And the the confirmation will come three times. <laughs> or, or biblical. I mean depending right, on the way, right. the way you look at it. Yeah, yeah. So but but it's there. And and uh, and particularly there were news reports that Comey was not going to confirm that. And so he did. That was a bit of a surprise. Um, now that was actually one of the interesting things like CNN had come out and said that Comey was going to say that he had not given this confirmation. And then in the testimony that didn't get actually read but was was put out, it said clearly that three on three different occasions, Comey had offered the information that Trump was not under investigation personally. And CNN struggled with that. They, they tried to kind of um, make a correction without having to say, oh, the entire thing was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what – and I, I, it, it baffles me that they couldn't just correct it. And it also baffles me because it's really beside the point. I mean it sort of does establish, I suppose, that on, on those grounds, Comey and Trump are in agreement. Um, most everything else within Comey's testimony uh, apparently the president is not in agreement. And um, this is something we learned from – uh, the president's outside counsel, Mark Kasowitz, after Comey's testimony. But back to what we learned, Comey uh, testified uh, that he uh, had several, I think it was nine, uh, one-on-one encounters, either on the phone or in person with President Trump. 
Uh, He's a very popular guy. Exactly. And as he noted, in the three and a half years he worked uh, under President Obama, Comey that is, uh, Comey only had two one-on-one meetings with the president, and, um, uh, one, and, and, and they were nothing of the nature of these meetings with President Trump. The first meeting actually came when the president was the president-elect, uh, and it, uh, there was a meeting in Trump Tower. It was one-on-one. Comey was briefing Trump on this dossier of salacious material and basically coming to tell the president, we don't have to relitigate what that dossier say, but essentially there's this dossier out there. You're not under investigation for it, uh, but we wanted to let I wanted to let you know um, that it exists and that it's it came into our possession and we're not doing any, any anything more related to you about it. I, I, have, a, I have a question, though, yes. about this dossier. So, so the first time Comey interacts with Trump is in the context of presenting him with this information that there's no reason to believe is true, but is completely humiliating. Correct. To what extent did the Comey-Trump relationship, was it colored by or affected by Trump's embarrassment and humiliation with being presented with this dossier. I, I don't think it helped to start off on that on that foot, um, and 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 so I think that does kind of set the tone, perhaps. Uh, but Comey doesn't exactly say that. It's interesting. Comey says that throughout uh, his what was it four and a half months of working as the FBI director under President Trump, he was constantly hearing from the president. Uh, you're doing a great job. I'm hearing from all these people around me that you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. In fact, a number of the phone conversations uh, of that of those nine one-on-one uh, interactions, Comey doesn't even mention in his opening statement, uh, and as he said in his testimony, there were essentially phone calls like that. Keep it up. You're doing a great job. Um, and so Comey says that he was surprised then uh, when he was fired because he was under the impression uh, that uh, Trump wanted him in the job. Uh, and that uh, Trump thought he was doing a good job. But what do we learn from the other interactions, these one-on-one interactions? We learn that there's a dinner in late January. Trump invites Comey to the White House. Comey walks into the White House and realizes this isn't a dinner with other people and the president. It's a dinner between myself and the president. The president. This is where the president tried to, according to Comey, extract a uh, a pledge of loyalty from from Comey. And Comey as an independent FBI director, uh, but serving at the at the um, at the pleasure of the president, says, uh, "Well, I can't promise you loyalty in the way that a traditional politician promises you loyalty because I'm an independent federal law enforcement officer, but I can promise you honesty." And there's somewhat of a back and forth about that. And finally, Comey says, "I can promise promise you honest loyalty, whatever that means." There's a second meeting then. This is all sort of leading into this narrative that Comey is, is, is drawing out, which is comes on February 14th, a day after uh, Mike Flynn uh, is fired for lying to the vice president about, uh, uh, about the uh, nature of his meeting with the Russian ambassador. And the meeting comes. He, uh, Comey is in the Oval Office with several of the uh, top aides for the president. The president asks them at the end of the meeting to all leave, but for Comey to stay. Several people try to linger behind, and then Comey says uh, that uh, the president basically confronted him and said, listen, we need to let this Mike Flynn investigation, which the FBI was investigating him for, we need to let this go. Now, were those the exact words he used? Because the exact words are going to matter a lot 
right. in, in this. Did he say, we need to let this go, or did he say, can you let this go? I think it was, I hope you can let I this go. I hope you can let this go. Uh, and w- how do we know all this, by the way, Eric? This is an important uh, point. It's such a meaty issue. We know uh, about this in such detail because Comey started taking notes after that first meeting at Trump Tower, started taking notes immediately after his meetings with Trump. And he gave the reason in, the, in his Thursday testimony about why he did that. He said, uh, well, there was it was the nature of the uh, of, of the things that we were discussing. They were sensitive. Um, uh, it was this was a new president. He didn't know. But most importantly, he said, because he had uh, a, a, a feeling about Trump himself, he was concerned that Trump might later lie about their interactions, uh, which is a, kind of an incredible statement for Comey to make. Uh, here, but he says that's the reason why he started, you know, writing down everything immediately, writing these memos that he would disperse among his senior staff at the FBI about what his interaction was like. Uh, so yes, yeah, so we so the 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 phrase was, uh, I hope we I hope you can make this. Uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing. I hope you can make this Mike Flynn case go away or, uh, uh, or whatever. Uh, and so this is the moment that. Uh, that, that, that Comey is essentially suggesting that Trump asked him to stop investigating Mike Flynn. Not the entire Russia investigation, but Mike Flynn. And, and this, is, this is the closest we get to anything that would, that would be describable as some kind of obstruction of justice. Right. But does it rise to that level? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I, I, I honestly do not know. Um, and I think that is one of these things that's up for interpretation. Uh, of course, it's, you can't separate the politics out of this. Democrats are going to think, yes, that is obstruction of justice. Republicans uh, who support the president uh, don't think so. Um, but I think we're. I think that is uh, sort of missing the plot in, in all of this. Sort of this question of is this obstruction of justice? Because if it is, then that means it's time to impeach the president, which is what Trump's opponents want. Um, but I, I think no matter whether it rises to that level of obstruction of justice. The episode, if it's if what Comey tells us is true, and remember he says this under oath, um, and, and and if he's lying, it would be perjury. Uh, is is describes a president who seems to be sort of obsessed with, as he told tells Comey, the cloud of the investigation hanging over him and wanting to know, uh, wanting Comey to tell the public that Trump himself is not under investigation. Now, by the way, though, that that's perfectly consistent with a narrative in which the president has done absolutely nothing wrong. He comes yep. into, into office and he's frustrated by the the leaks that are swirling around that are suggesting something bad was done when he knows himself that nothing bad was done. And he wants law enforcement people to do their investigation and then let it be known that nothing bad was done because he's he's confident of that. It's consistent with that being the case as opposed to a very different scenario would be one in which he's trying to shut down an investigation so that the bad stuff he knows he and his associates did does not come to light. Yes, but it doesn't quite comport, I think, with the idea that um, that, that Trump is – that Trump doesn't know something because if you look here, there's a pattern here from the president – of trying to slow down the investigation in some way. Now, he says he wants to get it out there that the investigation has nothing to do with him. And Comey tries to explain to him in in his own uh, account of this that 
it's, that's really actually not in the president's best interests because if uh, it, that may be true currently, but if it does have to change, um, and we saw this during the Hillary Clinton email uh, investigation, if if something happens in the ongoing investigation that does implicate the president, uh, the FBI would then be required to uh, correct their assess or their their statement that uh, Trump is not under investigation, and that that wouldn't be a good but look if, for but the if, president. If Comey is so worried about being manipulated by the president and forced into a, a role of patron and right. and subject, why why is he giving the president advice about how to strategize about what information comes out or doesn't come out? Well, he's not. It's I would say I would not call it sort of strategic advice. It's it's more. Um, uh, sort of about separ- the, the independence of the law. I mean, he tells, uh, after being asked, I think, in February, can we do something about getting this out there? Comey says that he sort of said, we'll see what we can do. Uh, and knowing, uh, I think this is a mistake on Comey's part, knowing that it's really not his place to do anything about it. Um, uh, and then alerting the deputy attorney general. We have to also have to remember there's this weird, this is a weird period at the Department of Justice because you have a acting deputy attorney general who is soon to leave, Rod Rosenstein, the current deputy attorney general, is is about to come into the office. Uh, And so there's this sort of weird time of turnover. Uh, Then by the time that the president and Comey talk in April, Comey informs him, look, the proper way to do this, if you would like uh, for your, you know, for for it to be known, has to go through the deputy attorney general. It's not to be um, you know, discussed with me. He informed uh, Attorney General Sessions about that as well. Um, so, so that's sort of where where we are. Um, it again, it doesn't rise to the level of, of obstruction of justice, but I think it does show a pattern of the president um, uh, trying, wittingly or not, to uh, uh, sort of overstep the bounds of independence between the executive branch and that independent law enforcement. Uh, 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 apparatus. Although the one thing there were there were two things that were that didn't reflect well on Comey, I think that came out of this mm. hearing. One of which really touches on this question of you know the supposed independence of the FBI, um, which is we find out that um, that uh, James Comey is told by Loretta Lynch, the yes. former Attorney General, during the questions about Hillary's emails not to refer to it as an investigation, but rather simply as a matter. And um, he didn't like that, but he followed the instructions from Loretta Lynch and called it a matter. Um, That doesn't fit with this image that he's crafted as being the fiercely independent guy who starts writing memos every time there's any suggestion that something not A-OK is being done. The other thing which was revealed that that was particularly interesting was that um, that he admitted that he had taken the memo and given it to a law professor friend of his to give to the New York Times, which is fascinating just in the sense of, you know, if you're going to get it to the New York Times, what's the reason you give it to a law professor friend of yours to tell the New York Times about as opposed to just giving it to the New York Times yourself. Yeah, he kind of glossed over this in the testimony. He said for, for many reasons he did not do it himself. Well, we, we should be precise on the timeline here. This is He gives the, uh, the, the memo to his friend, who's 
also kind of weirdly listed uh, as an advisor to Comey um, in some form or fashion. He's sort of a friend and more. Um, uh, associate. Associate, perhaps, is the right term. Um, this is the way that, uh, you know, the, the sourcing is always listed in exactly. these stories. Associates. Right, so. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, this happened after Comey was fired, and we I think we should be precise about sure. that. Sure. This is um, – this is, and this is something that I think the um, – the the whole timeline is something that Trump's lawyers actually got incorrect in their in their statement um, uh, about this. Uh, so Trump uh, Trump fires Comey on May 9th. On May 12th, uh, Trump tweets, "Comey better hope there's no there are no tapes of our conversation." Or as as Comey said in his uh, testimony, "Lordy, I hope there are tapes." <laughs> exactly, uh, and, and so that tweet sort of. You could view it as uh, as kind of basically a, a threat to say, "Hey, you know, don't don't say anything because I've got I may have the tapes uh, of what we said." Now, in Comey's telling, this sort of prompted him to say, "Well, I've got to get my side of this out. I've got to get these memos out to somewhere." Um, and he says, "I was kind of surprised to hear him say this. It was done because he felt that it could jumpstart the creation of a special counsel uh, in Bob Mueller." Uh, and then that that could influence that it's kind of incredible. Again, incre- it was a really incredible testimony of uh, sort of hearing this guy who, on the one hand, is a uh, uh, is a disgruntled uh, former federal employee about his boss, but is also a, um, a sort of a, a longtime career law enforcement officer who's testifying under oath uh, and uh, is uh, is making some pretty yeah, outrageous claims about somebody the Somebody whose knife work is good in the clinches. Absolutely. I mean this is this was this drama was uh, was was almost entirely crafted by Comey himself. He's very good at it. But it still doesn't answer the question why when in response to the president's tweet he wanted to get out his memo and the fact of the material the fact of the memos and what was in the memos. That he didn't deliver the material himself directly. No, it, it doesn't. I don't. I don't know what the answer to that is. But uh, but I, I think you can see the reason behind saying, "All right, well, this is what I've said, and now he said it on the record. This is what this is my account of our interactions." Now, the president's lawyer, Mark Kasowitz, has basically refuted, disputed that that account entirely, and, and is basically saying that uh, Comey perjured himself. Um, I would be interested to know if the president would go uh, – would speak under oath uh, and, and dispute those claims. But uh, I think it, what it does show you is that, as we mentioned at the top of this, there's actually no resolution here because this is sort of working its way into who do you believe more? Do you believe Comey, who has uh, the reasons that we've talked about, uh, compromises with his credibility, or President Trump, who – for many reasons that we've mentioned here and others, also has problems with his credibility. No. No, I know it's hard to, it's hard to hear, but uh, that's kind of where this whole thing <laughs> is left. So strap in. Michael Warren, White House correspondent of The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on The Confab. Thanks, Eric. That's it for The Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to The Confab every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription, or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Join the Confab conversation. Let us know what you want to hear more about. You can email us at confab at weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.